Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I have the honor to be talking today about something we have never talked about before. Our guest today, he is the co-founder, the managing partner at Energia, which is a renewable energy um, company and investment company. And they've been around about a year. He's done this before. He's one of the largest commercial and industrial solar firms in the U.S. before he sold a company called Green Skies Renewable Energy in 2017. As we were talking pre-chat, he is someone that's kind of a, a traveling nomad with his family. He served in the Peace Corps in Mali. He serves as a board member of the Big Life Foundation and even a nonprofit in Kenya. So this guy gets around. Please help me welcome to the show, Mike Silvestrini. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, glad to, glad to have you, Mike. And you said you were calling from the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? Actually, the, the British Virgin Islands. The British. The, uh, the, the quieter British. of the two. Yeah, it's a little bit more remote than even the U.S. Virgin Islands. Great spot over here. Well, that's fun. So tell me, Mike, about, I'm guessing that that's uh, not a place you've been your whole life. Tell us a bit about where you grew up and, and your life. Oh, for sure. So I'm from Connecticut originally and um, started uh, off in my 20s, really traveling and some time, a stint in the Peace Corps in Mali and West Africa, and a lot of time uh, you know, at university, like many of your li listeners went through my master's degree at Boston University in international studies and was heading down sort of a diplomatic road when, and, uh, when I was about 27 years old. So 2007, um, started realizing and connecting the dots on renewable energy, um, through my studies in international relations, you know, through conflict and what the UN was discussing at the time, it seemed like fossil fuels, uh, needed to go and new technology needed to replace it. And uh, it seemed that solar energy was gonna get uh, an opportunity to expand uh, as, as a technology within our energy mix. And I wanted to be part of that. So really um, switched lanes from the diplomatic strategy into the entrepreneurial world and built a, my first company, like you mentioned in the introduction, um, called Green Skies. And Green Skies was one of the original solar developers here in the United States. And we got uh, an early start on, you know, what this industry was going to be. Uh, we started doing small solar installations in the northeastern U.S. before really there was a lot of solar activity in that area in 2007, 2008 range. And after only a couple of installations... Uh, we were able to get contracts with Walmart and with Target, and uh, both those companies really gave us an opportunity to spread our wings and de develop renewable energy projects around the country. And we wound up installing 
several hundred uh, solar projects over the next few years. Uh, for many customers, eventually we would install solar projects for Amazon um, and many of the Fortune 500 companies that you all know. And uh, it was a great run and learned a lot about business and finance and um, you know, managing large teams and as the company continued to grow. And then in 2017, about a decade in, uh, my partners and I sold the company and it still uh, is driving uh, forward today and it's installing lots of solar all throughout the United States. Uh, but I, it was my time to step aside as uh, the chief executive of the business and let it grow um, and to start something new. You know, my favorite phases of a company are really the early stages where we're trying to figure problems out. So we started something new uh, shortly after selling Green Skies, and this new business is called Energia. And as you mentioned, it's an investment platform. So I realized that solar energy presents such a great opportunity for people to make money. And very few people have access to this asset class. It reminds me a little bit of like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency before Coinbase. Um, yeah, there is a way to do it. But if you don't have this cold hard drive that in order to store your Bitcoin, which very few people did, you couldn't access that asset class. Well, I feel renewable energy is the same way. Not too many people know how to invest in this stuff. And it's very complex. So we created an online platform where investors can come and participate in renewable energy projects from around the world uh, without um, being solar developers or being an institutional financier like a Goldman Sachs or a U.S. bank, the typical characters we see in our industry. So hopefully bringing this uh, new asset class to the retail space. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, that's my story. I'm kind of curious to know, like, obviously you have kind of a global exposure, you know, kind of seems like in, in your college years and beyond, what, what were you doing in your undergrad, you know, cause certainly I'm guessing solar from what you're saying, wasn't part of that vision for yourself. Right. Right. No, not at all. I was studying what they broadly call international relations, you know, a bunch of languages in there. I studied Arabic and French for many years, uh, spent a lot of time backpacking. I was a chef, so I could pretty mm -hmm. much travel and get a job anywhere. Cause you know, every, every country in the world could use, you know, an illegal chef in the kitchen. So I was able to travel and work. And um, that's what I really love doing and, you know, mixing with different places and uh, experiencing different places. And um, that became a career path when I entered the Peace Corps and realized that there's a lot of diplomacy work to be done and peace mongering, if you will. Negotiation theory took a lot of classes in the type of things that would help me uh, participate in global negotiations or multinational negotiations. And that's where I thought I was heading um, until this solar thing just rang my bell one day and just couldn't, I couldn't really shake it. And I really, uh, you know, it, it actually started off as many business ideas do uh, with a, a handle of doers and a good conversation that went all the way till the next morning when my father-in-law and my brother-in-law and myself started to peel the layers back of what was solar energy? Uh, where was it coming from? Where was it going? And we wound up uh, really enjoying that conversation. I woke up the, you know, the middle of the next day and had to start a solar company right then and there. And we did. And uh, that was Green Skies. 
When I think of, of this industry and I think of um, the solar industry and renewables, and I think of the people that manufacture, you know, the parts and, and from what I understand, the cost of that, you know, was much, much higher 13, 15 years ago than it is today. I'm curious, you know, can you talk about that a little bit? Is that, is that right? Sure. Wrong? You know, how is that? that evolves in terms of just the cost of, of the materials, you know, behind solar? Oh, it's been a tremendous ride. Um, my first solar installation uh, weighed in at about $8.50 per watt. That's how we measure stuff in solar. It's like a cost per square foot in real estate. We do cost per watt in solar. So it's $8.50 for the first per watt system uh, that we installed at Green Skies. And right now at Energia, we just wrapped up a project that was about 67 cents per watt. Whoa. So from $8.50 per watt to 67 cents per watt. And that has just been a, you know, a bottomless pit of pricing. Although it does feel like in many ways, uh, we may have reached the bottom of the trough of what solar is going to cost for a little while because solar, like all industries right now, is really screwed up with moving equipment across you know, the ocean and then freight from China, where we buy a lot of our solar panels from. We buy a lot of our inverters from Europe. Uh, we buy a lot of our steel uh, racking structures from the U.S. And you know, everything's just really expensive right now. And being a semiconductor, we're competing against a lot of the, the chip shortages that you're seeing with automobiles. And, you know, our industry is certainly as affected as any uh, with the spike in pricing uh, as a result of the global pandemic. How interesting. Are you seeing any signs of that abating at all or with with right now as we're recording this and in late August of 2021? Um any any light at the end of that tunnel or do you see it getting worse you know from what you're seeing in terms of the supply chain stuff you know i i see that for our business it's levelizing and we've controlled sort of the bounce as we call it because again prices on solar panels have been going down since the first day i started in this industry and then for the next 13 years all the price did was go in one direction until 6 months ago or 8 months ago when finally, for the first time, we saw module prices increase. And um, you know that caused us all to panic a little bit in the industry. But we were able to get around it because we're fortunate that we buy at scale and we buy directly from um, manufacturers overseas. So we're able to trade big purchase orders um, for some sort of stable visibility in terms of delivery timing and price point. But if you're a smaller player and you just need to buy enough solar panels for a project here or there, um, I could see you being exposed to a lot of volatility right now. So it really depends on, you know, whether or not, um, you know, if you're a veteran in the industry and you have some levers to pull and some relationships, if you've been buying equipment for the last 13 years um, at scale, you know, you've earned an opportunity here to, you know, secure some pricing and some delivery. But if you're kind of new at the game, I could see it being very, very challenging right now. And, you know, in terms of, of um, the growth, growth of it, you know, is this the kind of thing where you're making like solar farms 
or is, you know, describe for me kind of the, the kind of projects that you start installing like on, um, sure on, on churches and, and, uh, schools, you know, and kind of doing revenue share, you know, how, how do you, um, generate revenue from this stuff? Yeah. So there's three different scales of solar. There's residential C and I and utility scale, uh, residential. We've never done that. Uh, I've never participated in home, uh, installations of solar panels. It's simply too small, uh, to, uh, on a single project and it's difficult to maintain so many small projects and you know you're like picture you know one of our uh, asset managers crawling through someone's attic over the christmas ornaments to get to the inverter that's just not something that um you know we wanted to participate in and then whereas the utility scale stuff flipping to the largest size uh seemed too big it's a place really well situated for pension funds and super cheap costs of capital that are buying infrastructure. That's true infrastructure, it's big stuff. And that's great. Um, there are people that are very good at that and there's not really much room for an entrepreneur like, like myself to be effective and useful in that space right now. Uh, where we really play as, as an organization, two companies in a row now has been in the middle sector, that CNI, which stands for commercial and industrial. And that's the business to business transactions. The guys like Walmart and Target and Amazon that I mentioned before with Green Skies, that's continuing today. We work a lot with telecommunications companies, tend to be uh, major solar users because they have so many cell towers that you can uh, develop central projects to service hundreds of cell towers mm. uh, with like a farm. Uh, but we also did uh, just finished a project in a school system in New Canaan, Connecticut. So we range from, we have a grocery chain in, in uh, South Africa that we're solarizing right now. So we're in multiple continents. Uh, each continent has its own policy and its own regulations and its own technical configuration. So they range from a project on a rooftop to um, sort of a 50 to 70 acre solar farm uh, in terms of its technical look. But it's always to service those middle market CNI customers, and uh, that's really what we specialize. Interesting. So, in that, you know, like, help us understand how how do you make money in these these sure. kind of projects? So, solar projects that you're these are power plants. They're relatively expensive, even uh, for our for our customers. Their business is not you know, they're not in the energy business. They might make a widget or they might be a retailer, um, but they're not in the business of owning power plants, but we are. So the right structure of contracts with our customers is for us to build and own a solar power plant and to have a power contract to sell the power to our customer, usually for 15 or 20 years at an agreed upon rate. And that rate is usually between 20 and 40% below what they're buying electricity for from the grid. So they all they have to do is say, well, I'm paying 20 cents a kilowatt hour. These guys are going to come in and offer me 12 cents a kilowatt hour, and I'm buying it from their solar plant. Sounds like a pretty good deal. They don't have to touch their wallet. Um, we install this thing, and then we'll 
send them the first time they make a payment would be for the electricity that we've sold them. It's called a power purchase agreement. So I look at it like uh, and now owning those solar plants is a great position because I've already pre-sold that electricity for 15 or 20 years. Uh, it's called a take or pay contract. We basically put a meter on the plant and whatever we produce is delivered to our customer and they, we multiply it by the agreed upon rate and then send them an invoice. It's a, lot, a little bit like investing in a hotel, only you've already rented the rooms for 20 years before you buy the first brick. And that's why I really like this asset class. It, that long-term visibility gives us tremendous confidence in the yield. And yield is something that a lot of investors are searching for right now, especially with bonds being so useless in an inflationary market. Uh, we think that uh, asset class like renewable energy is kind of a perfect fit for the needs of the market right now. Um, and of course, the needs of the environment too. So if, if I think about um, this kind of opportunity, generally, there's a fair amount of, of capital up front that you got to invest, right, into making it. Yep. And That's then, right. and then um, you, it's kind of, it's almost like, I guess I would call it akin to a, um, a, uh, in real estate, gosh, the name is escaping me right this moment. Like a REIT? Like almost like, like a REIT with a, a cause you have a, a, a tenant, you know, that it's like one tenant rather than mm -hmm. having um, 20 of them. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it right now off the top of my head, but essentially, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be responsible for the maintenance of it, of, of it, but um, your, you can get a, uh, build a whole bunch of these all over the place, but essentially you're depending upon that one tenant for that one project to, to foot the bill on a go forward basis. Am I understanding that? Kind yeah, of it's very similar to real estate. You know, first we have to build the building and then we can lease it out and collect that rent. And in this case, we have to build a solar project so that we can sell that power on a long-term basis. And some, sometimes it is in fact a lease. We lease the plant to the customer, depending on you know, the regulatory, regulatory framework that we're working in. So it's really the same thing. We have an asset and um, without the customer, it's not worth much. But when we can sell that power to a customer, uh, we can create a return on our investment. And then we got to look at what's the probability the customer is going to pay us, just like a piece of real estate. You might have somebody who agreed to rent your building, but uh, what's the probability of them paying on time for many, many payments in a row? so that I can recover my initial investment. And uh, that's what we look at too. So that's why we like to do business with other businesses. Uh, businesses are more sophisticated than um, most residential energy uh, buyers. Uh, I can look at their financial statements. Uh, I can look at their audited financial statements in multiple years of them, for example. Uh, I can look at the logic, like is this school has been around for a hundred years the town is very wealthy. They probably like educating their kids. I think this school is going to, it's got some staying power. Let's go ahead and sell them some power under a 20 year contract. And we can hang our hat on that. So we really like the, the nature of the cash flows. And then we basically um, each month, uh, we read the meter, see how much electricity we generated. We send an invoice to the customer. The customer pays us on that invoice. Then we use that cash first to pay for the operations and maintenance of the project. So there's you know, some maintenance involved in making 
ensure that the plant lasts for the 20 years. Uh, and then some insurance and the plant has a bank account. So some minor expenses. And then what, after those expenses have been paid, 100% of the cash flow gets distributed to the project ownership. And in our case, the project owners are the investors on our platform. Uh, in many other cases, the project owners might be you know, a, a professional investor uh, or an institutional investor. So that's basically how the cash flow works. Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30 minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye. And so do you find that there'd be, as I think about this business, certainly certain areas are more sunny than others, like Arizona, right? Would be a lot more sunny than Maine for example, on average. Um, and so you could get more power um, 
from those some yeah. areas, you know, I think of like Florida, well, gosh, you know, there's tropical storms and hurricanes or California with earthquakes, you know, how, how much do you have to think about, you know, the, cause that, that would cost you a lot, I'm sure to go and rebuild the whole thing. Maybe you get some insurance on it. I don't know. You know, how do you think about those kind of decisions in terms of where, where you place stuff? Well, first off, the, the solar irradiance or the amount of sunlight is only one of many factors. Um, that would be a little bit like saying, you know, the best real estate deal must be the, the area with the cheapest lumber. Well, not necessarily. It certainly helps, but there's a lot of other factors. In our case, we're looking at, well, how expensive is the electricity we produce? You go to like Northern United States, you're said you're from Minnesota and uh, you know, Minnesota has a lot of solar in it. Certainly not known for being the sunniest place, but Minnesota electricity is pretty expensive, Dave, as you probably know. So uh, it's a place where even making small amounts of electricity can be very valuable stuff. So it's a really a combination of a lot of different metrics. It also comes down to the policies. You know, the United States, for example, has a tariff on imported solar panels. So every time a solar panel hits um, you know, the docks here in the United States from China, we have to pay about a 40% tax on the cost of that uh, as a tax to the government. That's a real pain. It makes solar panels more expensive here in the United States than any other market in the world by, by a pretty wide margin. So a lot of times we like doing business in other countries. And we're also looking at the way that we make our decisions is imagine you're trying to build a perfect portfolio of solar projects. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. What would it look like? Well, it would probably have projects with multiple currency denominations because, you know, we're macro economists, thinkers. We, we are concerned about uh, the long-term value of the dollar, but we're just as concerned about long-term value of all currencies. So the best thing to do when you have a concern is to diversify. Um, we have some concerns about different policies and the longevity of those policies. We have concerns about even multiple uh, technologies. You know, we invest in hydro projects as well as solar projects, and we wouldn't be opposed to taking a stab at other technologies if one proved to be investable. Um, so, you know, we look at a lot of different things, but we're trying to mix together a portfolio that's diverse enough to feel really comfortable about those dividends, because that's how we plan on retiring. And that's how our clients uh, plan on retiring too. Because once um, you continue to own these things for a period of time, let's call it decades, and at some point in time, you say, you know, I don't want to um, reinvest my dividends into more solar. I'm you know, ready to wind down my working years. And I want those dividends to knock out my mortgage and my phone bill on a monthly basis. And that's what solar, those cash flows from solar are designed to do for our investors you know, uh, years down the road. So it sounds like, you know, if I'm just thinking about this, you know, certainly it's uh, when you have a good, good tenant per se, you know, you, you could have cash flows for um, a really, really long time, which is exciting. Um, they don't last forever though, right? You know, at some point equipment has to be replaced, you know, tell us we more only about it. We, we only look at the the longevity of a project as the, the initial contract. 
So the, the equipment may have a 25-year warranty, but if we only have a 15-year power contract, we're only looking at 15 years worth of revenue. We call everything else zero. That's, that's the way to handle that. Some people spend a lot of time trying to figure out what the residual value is of a project. Well, after year 15, what's it worth? We're just going to call it zero. That's the, that's the appropriate financial uh, way of viewing uh, one of these solar energy assets. And you know the numbers that we project and provide our customers uh, through our online platform, those numbers are all assuming just what's contracted and zero for everything else. Mm. The, um, that's a, you know, you know, what one aspect uh, of, of this thing, but let me point out one other major thing is that when we, when our investors come to our platform and invest in renewable energy, they're not picking individual projects. They're actually picking portfolios of projects. So we have different investment themes. For example, right now, we're fairly certain that Brazil is the number one hottest market to invest in solar anywhere on planet earth. I'm convinced about that. And I'm seeing the benefits of a bet that we placed on that market many years ago that has now uh, really flourished and it's doing, it's a great market to be in. And we've taken our investors into that market through a a community solar in Brazil portfolio. We also think sub-Saharan Africa has a lot of legs to it. Uh, There are premium customers, believe it or not, in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, we can't just overlook an entire market. Returns are very large. Irradiance is very high. Energy costs are high. People are using diesel generators and we're basically competing against diesel generators and solar is cheaper. So we're able to find some fantastic project opportunities um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And we still think that the United States, while the market's very strange, um, you know, there are some tax advantages to investing in solar projects in the United States. So in Energia's opinion, the world's greatest portfolio of projects would have a mixture of some projects from Africa where you're getting great returns from credit customers, um, some projects from Brazil where returns are the highest in the world, and some projects in the US where we can use the tax attributes of those projects to offset the income from the other projects. And you wind up with a, a global portfolio that really works well into itself. Um, that's our objective. But you're investing in these portfolios, not individual projects. So um, you know, projects will be rolled on and rolled off. We'll sell projects, buy projects, all within the mandate of those portfolios. So as, as an investor in general, which of course we can never promise anything, things change, life changes, uh, coronavirus happens, You know, all these kinds of unexpected sure. things. Generally, you know, when you when you run your projections, when are you hoping people break even on their investment? It depends on the particular uh, portfolio. Um, our basic, uh, our our core product right now is the Brazilian portfolio, and that thing weighs in at about a sixteen percent rate of return. Um, so, uh, if you approximately now, there's some shape to this because there's seasonality with solar you have sunnier months and not so sunny months Um, and also solar panels degrade uh, by about a quarter to a half a percent per year Uh, so their their productive capacity is going down also there may be some uh, the presence of project finance on some of these projects so it's not like a perfect shape 
Um, but approximately, you know, a hundred thousand dollar investment is going to get you 16 grand a year. And you know, if you can do the math on that being somewhere in the sort of five to six year payback range. And then after that, you know, those dividends stay with you. And that's, you know, what we want our customers to, to enjoy during their retirement years. Um, United States pro projects, you know, far more competitive here uh, in the U.S. And, um, you know, it's a very sophisticated market and margins are contracted. Returns are more in the six to eight percent range. And then in Africa, we're seeing basically 12s to 14s. So those are sort of the IRR ranges. And um, just because the U.S. is sort of uh, the lowest yield, we still think it merits a position in the portfolio. And the way we look at it, we're making a sort of a solar cocktail and the ice in the drink is the U.S. portfolio. It may not have the most flavor, but you need it in the drink. Uh, it does a lot for the ballast, ballasting the portfolio in, in that uh, it's a lowest risk market. Interesting. So if, if I'm just to think about this, you know, this kind of thing is um, you can have much higher returns potentially than some other assets. You know, it's cash flow generating um, type thing, like you mentioned. The um, mm -hmm. major major con I can think of, you know, certainly it's not a liquid investment. It's not like you can just say say, hey, I want to get all, all my money back now, Mike. You know, I I gotta buy That's a right. gotta buy a new car. Um, you know, you're not really gonna be able to get your hands on on that money. Is that right? That's right. It's a three-year holding period before you can then uh, put your shares up on the platform for sale. And, you know, it's funny because there's something called a liquidity premium. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it sure. basically suggests that, you know, when you have something that's purely liquid and that's, that's traded on an exchange, you pay a premium for that. Um, whereas something that's more illiquid, like our stuff, uh, where the exchange is our platform itself, um, that type of product is going to have a better yield, less, less liquid. And, uh, I would, you know, I'm starting as I learn more, you know, more and more as I get older and meet more investors and professional investors, you know, I'm wondering if that's really, uh, in the best interest of customers to pay additional premium to get access to liquidity, because I don't know about you, but you know, when I do my, you know, day trading and, you know, I have all the apps that many investors have and I'll buy some stocks, but I'm a, I'm a professional in the solar energy space, but I'm as novice as the next guy in terms of buying stocks on, you know, on my uh, E-Trade app. And, uh, you know, I find myself even um, uh, poor at investing on a personal basis, which is why I use sort of only chump change to do it because I want to sell. And my instinct is to sell early. And I kind of like the lack of liquidity. And not only are, you know, uh, do I manage, you know, the energy of platform with my team, uh, but I'm also a big customer of the product. I have accounts for my kids and I like putting the capital in there. And then you just kind of forget about it. And you shouldn't be using investing in the, into energy with capital that you're going to need for paying your expenses. This is... Um, you know, capital that you have, that you want to invest, that you want to go to work for you for a long-term period. And even though the, it's a three-year hold period, you know, you're buying a power plant. 
you should plan on holding it for a long period of time, even longer than three years. And that's really when stuff gets valuable is when you compound the yield. So every month that you're getting paid a dividend, don't take that dividend out of your account, although you can. It's certainly just, it's connected with plaid and send that money right back to your savings account. But the way to really create wealth is to take that dividend and you buy more stock. And then the next month you buy more and then you start compounding that yield. And you do that for decades. And it's amazing what a, you know, go to a compound uh, dividend calculator or compound interest calculator and punch in what a hundred grand does. If you compound that yield for a double digit return over a 20 year period, it's really amazing. Um, and that's the type of product that we're trying to offer. It's, it's something very different from, you know, you're going to get all your liquidity from stocks and bonds. Uh, there's a plenty of liquid asset classes out there. That's great. Do that. But uh, this is a complement to your portfolio. It's less liquid, but uh, maybe it should be. Sure, sure. Well, like you said, there, there is a premium that you pay in order to have that liquidity. Um, if That's I was right. ever interested in this sort of thing, you know, one of my biggest concerns would be um, something like this being, I don't, I don't want to say Ponzi scheme necessarily, but I've seen, I've seen some stuff over the years that people have invested in that like a, a winery in the Cayman Islands and uh, um, management fees were so high on these things that maybe it wasn't like a criminal thing, but, you know, the investors definitely, you know, the, the first two or three years look pretty darn good. You know, they, they're getting some money back, um, but often they kind of um, get 30 or 40% of their money, you know, rather than, than getting 100% of their money plus return on it. Um, I've seen equipment sure. leasing stuff be that way. I never played in the solar field, so I have no experience there. But if if um, you know you you were in in our shoes, you know, being someone that's mm -hmm. never had experience here, obviously, in your case, you're investing internationally. Um, what kind of of questions would you be asking someone like yourself to to um, know as much as you can that you know these are solid investments this isn't a ponzi scheme this isn't you know something that's going to blow up in a, in a few years and you know you get back a small return on your money kind of a thing well first and foremost is that each one of our portfolios goes through a process with the sec for approval called regulation a and we audit these things and deliver those reports to the sec on a regular basis, very similar to the way that a public company does, but we do that through uh, a policy called Regulation A. The offering circular, which is the document that the SEC reviews and approves prior to our ability to sell securities, because we're ultimately selling securities, securities in a holding company that owns a bunch of solar projects. And our ability to do that is exclusive to the approval process with the SEC in order to do that. I can't sell these securities without that approval. And um, those reports are transparently displayed right on the website so that people can read them and they can see, all right, um, this is a closed loop system. There's a bank account in Delaware for each one of these portfolios. You make an investment and we're trying to make a video called the journey of the dollar that we'll you know, hopefully get to in the fourth quarter of this year that will explain this in greater clarity. 
but essentially your dollar goes into a bank account, gets commingled with the other dollars from other investors who made an investment uh, during that period into this particular portfolio. It then is used to buy a solar project. And it could be a project that we're building. So it's paying for solar panels directly and EPC costs, or it could be used to acquire a project from another party. But in one way or another, that capital has one purpose. It, there is no operating company. There are no executives to this holding company. There's no plane rides. There's no dinners. It is just assets and the money in a Delaware bank account. The uh, capital is then used to acquire the projects. The, the projects turn on and the money starts going in the opposite direction uh, through that channel that I described earlier where it's you know cash, operating expenses, distributions. And we can look at, there's a lot of um, opportunities to screw this up. And I think that that is a, a valid risk that you bring up. It's a good one. And um, I think that the way a lot of guys, if you go to like a REIT or a yield co, a yield co is basically a REIT for renewable energy projects that you'll see publicly listed quite a bit. These guys will have projects that have pretty great returns. Um, so you could have a REIT or a yield co that's doing an eight or 9% IRR with the leases and the revenue, but they're only giving a six or 4% uh, dividend. And what's happening with the rest of it? Well, they're making that dividend because they know that they could easily hit a four if your portfolio is actually hitting an eight. That's pretty easy to do. And you can make a statement to the public that we're going to hit a four. And investors love that because they say four, they hit a four and the crowd goes wild. But the reality is four is pretty lousy. Four is probably below inflation. I don't know why everybody gets so excited about that. And at the second hand is you actually did, Nate, where's the other 4% that you as an owner of that portfolio earn? Well, it's going to a couple places. One, it's going to operating expenses. The company is in there. Like the, the re is a company. It has employees. It has operating expenses. We don't. As the SEC circular explains, we don't have employees. The company is just a pure asset shell. Um, I like that about our product. And second place it goes is they take your money and they reinvest it into new projects. They have that compounding yield that I'm recommending our customers do, but they do it for you. They'll just withhold money from your dividends and then reinvest it into the next solar project, the next you know, apartment complex. So we're a little different. Um, it's, just a, it's just an asset holding shell. So it has no operating expense, which is nice. And also we distribute 100% of the dollars, no matter what it is to you at the end of every single month. And if you choose to take that money off the table, it's your choice. If you choose to compound that return and reinvest it, then you can get that compounded effect, but it's our, customer, our customer's option. And we're not making that, that decision for them like most REITs and yield codes. So I'd say those are sort of the differentiators that I would look at you know, to when I, if I had that concern. Okay, no, that's all great feedback, Mike, and good to know. At least there's some sort of For registration, sure. you know, with uh, the SEC here, and mm -hmm. um, stuff people could look up, you know, on their own should they want to, you know, look at some of the the um, financials and stuff. So thank you for that feedback. Absolutely. So as as we wrap up um, the the meeting for today, Mike, you know, just um, as you think about doctors, as you think about financial freedom, 
Um, any just closing thoughts that you have for us? Yeah, I think that more and more investors like doctors are taking control over their investment strategy. They're enjoying it more. Uh, they're serving themselves. They're making more decisions. You see that in self-directed IRAs where um, a lot of uh, people with retirement plans are starting to move that capital and things that they like, whether it's gold or real estate or other alternatives. And I like that. I think that that's something where our economy is moving and it's a good thing. Um, I'm seeing a lot of app-based investing. You know, you can see Fundrise or CrowdStreet from a real estate perspective to great online platform, very similar to Energia, but specific to real estate. Uh, we're seeing things uh, like Rally Road, which does the same thing, only for collectibles and antiquities. So you can buy you know, a, a percentage of a Mickey Mantle baseball card, which again, it's an asset class. Um, and it's you know, one that's performed pretty well, quite frankly, over the last decades. Uh, so, and use crypto with apps like Coinbase. So I view, um, you know, if I'm a doctor and I'm sitting on liquidity and I'm focused on you know, being a great surgeon, I might also have uh, an area in my phone with a bundle of apps where I can disperse a percentage of my money across multiple asset classes and see it directly with my own eyes and have much more control over that cash rather than handing it all to you know, Wells Fargo uh, to invest on your behalf. Because uh, a lot of the value that you're creating with that capital in the marketplace is being scraped off before it gets back, back to your retirement plan. And um, you know, I, I, I hope that more people start to make direct investments through the internet of things and these new apps, uh, as opposed to purely managed portfolios. Um, as an investor, I've sold a company for a significant sum. I've had the opportunity to, to uh, invest my own capital as, as a doctor might and uh, to hand it over to a bank and it just not feel right. Uh, and uh, to make decisions about uh, what I was going to invest in. And I'm a, I'm a user of many of those applications I just mentioned because I like to know what the heck I own and uh, for not to be you know, a couple layers between me and the asset. Well, great, great feedback, Mike. And if people are, are interested in learning more, where can they find you? Mike at Energia, E-N-E-R-G-E-A.com. Perfect. And we'll uh, make sure to link the stuff here in the show notes if you have more questions to follow up with Mike about. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for being with us, sir. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Deniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute 
strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.